0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Price Picks is the easiest, the most exciting way to get in on the action while you watch your favorite sports and players. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100.
1: New Year's is now in the rearview mirror. By now, some of the excitement about our New Year's resolutions may be dying down, much like my excitement for Chelsea Football Club as we get further and further into the season. If you're looking for performance apparel that can help give you the extra push you need to keep up with your health goals, Viore has you covered. Viore creates incredibly versatile and comfortable active wear designed to look great in everyday life in and out of the gym, or in my case, on or off the tennis court. Plus, Viore is 100% off setting their carbon footprint by offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 and beyond they are utilizing better sustainable materials for their products empowering your best active life. With Viore, you can feel good about the things you buy and also how they are made. Viore is an investment in your happiness for our listeners. They are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash M-I-B. That's vuor dot slash M-I-B. Not only Will you receive 20% off your first purchase but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns? Trust me, go to viore.com MIB and discover the versatility of Viore clothing.
2: This is Rebecca Lowe or Rebecca Lua if you listen to Suboptimal Radio and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable!
1: From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho. It's the Men in Blazers podcast, Rog.
0: Oh, for a change, a deeply sad It's our post-FA Cup special, special, special. It's also our David Bowie RIP podcast. Oh, they? yeah. What they say here? David Bowie.
1: Bowie, Bowie, Bowie. Yeah.
0: What a bloke, David. Bowie, what a life. As... What a death.
1: Yeah, an amazing life, Rog. All starting in South London, South London, I should say. It's one of my own. Rog, uh, don't know who his football team were.
0: Well, I've seen photos of him with a Crystal Palace scarf mm. in, his, in, a, in his dressing room. Wow. Well, L- unfortunately, a couple of people have also sent one of him with a Chelsea scarf, which <laughs> I wanted to leave out on this <laughs> podcast, but I feel a duty to. But we put up on our Instagram a beautiful photo of him with his 1957 school soccer team. Mm. Looks adorable. You have no sense of everything. That would be to come. I mean, it's hard.
1: What a life, though. What a life.
0: And what a death. What? What a way to go? Not telling
1: the world. Uh, so you. It's so drop you in, to focus. Because that's how you'll want to go.
0: Dropping an amazing, meditative piece of work, and then passing away on your birthday. Yeah, the de- it's your dream. It's um, you know. I'd like to be bitten by uh, the Brazilian walking spider. That's honestly my dream <laughs> what way to, way to go given on. a choice. But we don't get a choice about these things. No, we don't. But we do get a choice of how to live. Yeah. And his persona, his many personas and his music, all, the lyric all about being an outsider, a misfit, an oddity, an explorer in every sense of the word, a drifting astronaut. I can't describe how incredibly validating it was to listen to him and to see him and to watch him and think about him in the 1970s and 80s in Northern England where you had to wear a school uniform every day and conformity and doom were really the two life options that were on offer.
1: It's interesting because he sort of came from this in-between era in music, Rog. It was sort of post the Beatles when the Beatles sucked up everything. And we've talked about this before that I never realized how big the Rolling Stones were until I came to America. America. And then, oh, suddenly it was the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. But it was all the Beatles sucked up almost everything in the 60s and early 70s. And then later on in the 70s, of course, it was New Wave and punk, which really sort of dominated. In that sort of middle period, that sort of glam pop, glam rock period, David Bowie kind of defined what a musical artist was and just kept going and going through every era, (gasps) through every musical style, and he just owned every single one of those personas.
0: But like the Beatles, he was one of those performers who you don't fully understand the the, the the meaning of unless you know how he changed the world and unless you knew what the world was like before him. I mean, you can draw a straight line from him all the way through I mean, parts of Mick Jagger's persona, Duran Duran, Lady Gaga, St. Vincent. Uh, I mean, I've really spent the morning listening to Someone Great, the LCD Sound System song, reliving... The moments of my childhood and realizing most of them have a david bowie soundtrack david
1: oh without a doubt i mean we can be heroes do you know that there are always and i'm sure you had this at your school and at your university that you could spot the david bowie fans like amala there's always one person who tries to inhabit the persona and personality of david bowie who listens to all the music who dresses a bit like him who moves will always be in the corner a little bit moody and angular at the party yeah I've been trying to do that for the past 20 <laughs> years, the thin white juke. Yeah, you exactly. But it's the, but the image sometimes gets in the way when you actually just listen to the music. I mean, heroes, that song, Rog, which was the soundtrack to so much of my life, that song was always the go-to song to put you in a good mood when you're on a, when you're on a road trip, when you're around your very, very best mates. Oh, the football
0: blogger, Arseblog, yeah, who many of our listeners know as one of the great, unintentional commentators, commentators yeah. of, uh, of Arsenal's football coverage on NBC. He wrote a beautiful appreciation uh, of Bowie this morning. He said the word genius is banded about rather too easily mm-hmm. this day. He said some bastard backhills a fluky goal and he's mm-hmm. a genius and it's genius. Nonsense. David Bowie, though, was the true measure of the word. A man whose work and art spanned five decades. A man who, like all of us, had his ups and downs, but those downs were never enough to taint the truly great stuff that he did. I've been thinking a lot, Dave, about life and death this week. I have read a book, Gratitude, by Oliver Sacks, mm-hmm. who talks about living a life that is intentionally full of content. I've been thinking a lot about death. Uh, I read an essay, actually, about a man, a lot of you have sent it in, a man called Dudley Marjorie Banks the First. You may know him better as the the first Baron of Tweedmouth, a.k.a. Lord Tweedmouth, which is possibly the most English name of all time. It certainly puts Danny Drinkwater to shame. But he was a businessman. He was a politician. He loved hunting dogs. He loved sporting dogs. And he decided, I think this must have been in the 18th century, he decided to crossbreed a wavy coated retriever and a tweed water spaniel. Lord Tweedmouth, Davo, is the man who invented, he invented, Davo, the golden retriever. (sighs)
1: That's an amazing, an amazing contribution to the world. I didn't know Raj. they
0: could be invented. I thought oh, no, I just <laughs> you know, like biblically part of the seven day cycle that God yeah. did when he did all that. And she did all that crap. But in Israel, there's an old graveyard. Yeah. on the banks of the Kinneret, at the Galilee, where all the, like the people who originally helped found the state, and I mean all the people, they're all kind of buried in there. It's quite a beautiful spot. Like there's a husband and wife. Her great contribution was to work out how to bring honeybees and breed them in the country. Uh huh. And on the back of her grave, yeah. there's like a honeycomb yeah. carved in there. Her husband, I th- I'm pretty sure he brought palm trees. They weren't indigenous. He brought them in. They're now everywhere. Uh uh-huh. And on the back of his grave, he's got palm trees, Dave, carved on in there. Yeah. I keep thinking, what would you like to be carved on the back of your grave?
1: Do you know, I've actually said this before that I am... You know, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? The Game Show was such a big hit. I sort of feel that it's going to be my life's work making sure that in my obituary, and it won't be widely read, it's not like it's going to be in the big papers, but in the smaller, perhaps the entertainment press who may cover my obituary one day, I'm trying to spend the rest of my career getting, preventing game show producer being the first three words in my (laughs) obituary. I've thought about that quite a lot. But I think mainly what I want to be remembered for is the man that prevented my great friend and partner Rog, jumping off a building in the crap part of Soho <laughs> when Everton lose a penalty shootout in the Capital One Company Cup Cup oh. to Liverpool.
0: Oh, we'll talk about that, David. God willing, we'll get that far. <laughs> I, I think on the back of it, I'd like a bald head to be yeah. carved. Just the top of a bald head. Yeah. I'd like to be known as a man was, who was at one with baldness and, yeah. and represented his people well, David.
1: Yeah, the
0: balds. Yeah, the balds, David. I, I mean, if anything, Bowie's death has made me appreciate the way here in America... You actually work out a way to celebrate people and honour them while they're still alive. I got very caught up in the Baseball Hall of Fame induction of Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah. You're a fan of Hall of Fames.
1: Well, I I like a Hall of Fame. I must say, I am a fan of what you just said. It does occur to me, I've been to a lot of funerals recently, way too many funerals. And it does occur to me that you're basically gone. It doesn't really matter how you're remembered. You're not there to enjoy it. What you're, what you're here on this earth to do is to enjoy your actual life, not the memory of your life which you cannot participate in. And however great your life was, however well you're remembered, the people that love you are devastated when you pass. And so however well you did, it doesn't make any difference. So I like a Hall of Fame. I like people being honoured when they're still alive. And I like any ceremony that involves a blazer. <sighs>
0: full-on in this blazing but something about ken griffey Jr. it's like it was an incredible moment of wonder for me and also recent nostalgia great man yeah i mean one of the first great baseball series i watched when i came over here Mm -hmm. the 1995 alds between the mariners of ken griffey junior edgar martinez tino martinez the two martinez i remember they're so different their personas alex rodriguez Mm -hmm. that when he was lovely And the greatest baseball player of all time, Joey Cora. Come on, Hall of Fame. When are you going to bring Joey Cora in there? Mm -hmm. And the Yankees. It was the Marinaros against the Jenkees, as they called them in my uh, Chicago neighborhood. (laughs) And it's amazing to me that that game, that series was a Hall of Fame career ago, Dave. Our time is moving.
1: Why do we not have a Premier League Hall of Fame? We've got to call Scudamore and suggest the Premier League Hall of Fame. Blazers, (sighs) an event. It's time to induct some of these guys in. Ravanelli. We need, to get Bob, Zola,
0: we need to get Bob Lee on that. He tells me he would Premier be an League incredible, of fame. incredible host. Let's start building. Where, where would it be, David? The Premier League. Somewhere outside of Stoke. Somewhere scenic outside Sunderland. of Stoke. <laughs> <laughs> Villa.
1: By the way, talking Arlo, about, it could be at Arlo's house. That'd be good. We'll do it. We'll do it in Arlo's
0: back garden. I'll tell you, it's more likely to be built somewhere in America, uh-huh. the way the viewing figures are going over here. But talking about great lives lived well. I did enjoy Kanye West's tweet, something filled me with happiness. Yeah. When he said, I have no interest in working with anyone who's too important or too good or too traditional to take a call at 3 a.m. in the morning. Wow. That's a life well lived, David. It is, very true. And I agree 100% especially because 3 a.m. is normally when our show ends on NBCSN.
1: <laughs> it's very, very true. When, when, when it's on early. <laughs> okay, Rog, we have a packed show today. We're going to break down all this weekend's FA Cup action mm-hmm. <laughs> Come can on, feign enthusiasm. I, oh,
0: it was fantastic. Okay,
1: good. We're no, going to get a match report <laughs> do on Man United. FA Cup. FA Cup action. I'm trying to... G- Sometimes I have to persuade myself to be really excited. We're going to get a match report on Manchester United's unspeakably dull 1-0 win against Sheffield United from Men in Blazers Manchester bureau chief, Charlie red. The Guardian writer and invincible author Amy Lawrence joins us for a temperature check on top-of-the-table Arsenal ahead of a very busy Premier League week, plus a big day for US soccer at the Ballon d'Or. Oh,
0: to the football, Davey.
1: Yep, the Premier League takes a break for the magic of the FA Cup, a tournament that doubles as America's tour guide to such exotic locales as Wickham, Doncaster and Hartlepool. Oh, crack open your Guinness, Rog. Oh, sounds extra good today. Sounds extra, extra good. It's Kind of blonde.
0: Oh, David, to the FA Cup. I too am trying to feign excitement for a, a tournament in which, well, really, the League Two sides had their way yeah, with Premier League teams. Pretty much, best league in the world. Um, I had Rebecca Lowe withdrawal this weekend, you David. Did. I felt like this was a really preparation for when baby for Rob Lowe, leave. Yeah, for when baby Rob Low popped out there. I mean, even more than when it's an international weekend for some reason. I felt sadder uh-huh. this weekend and I realized that the FA Cup, it's like trying to feast on dietetic chocolate. It's <laughs> I like love dietetic You just know, chocolate. however much you eat,
1: it's just not going to be even mildly. You do love it. I love, well, no, not diet. I like rice chocolate. I, ri- I don't know if that's dietetic. I like rice chocolate. Enjoy it more than regular chocolate. Oh, I find it so Should put sad. put some of that in the Emporium, Lexi.
0: Not the dietetic chocolate. I find the FA Cup so sad. Yeah. I, we say this every year at this time in our childhood the fa cup was the most magical of football tournaments well it was the, it, it was, was the only, only
1: football that was on that the home internationals yeah there used to be a home international tournament by the way which was amazing and then they home internationals meaning every year england ireland scotland and northern ireland and wales would play remember that they'd always play each other and it was phenomenal and then they'd sometimes show some under 15 schoolboy home internationals yes they'd also show those yes. which were amazing
0: but they—you wouldn't. Barcelona—they just weren't on your radar. Yeah. I mean, uh, French football—we we barely. So it's just the World Cup. These players would come out. You'd heard <laughs> kind of vague rumblings about them. Zico. Here they come. They'd be. Oh my god! I was writing god, this
1: weekend Socrates, about Oh my! I was writing this weekend about the Observer Book of Football. Do you Remember that tiny little volume It was published <sighs> in 1972. Basically, everything I knew about football was in this book from 1972. And there was a section in it—a ten-page section called "Famous International Players." And you would read this hearing, Socrates. Of, hearing of people. Faschetti. They were just better
0: oh. looking than our guys. Their shorts were
1: tighter than our guys. Oh, there was a team in Milan called Internazionale. Hair These gel. people, they could run the 100 metres in 10.5 seconds. There were defenders who not only defended, they also attacked and scored goals, Roger. It was so exotic and so different, but we never they saw They had any their own teeth. <laughs> they had their own teeth. It was amazing. Yeah. They had muscles. And, and, hair. and
0: now, America, yeah. you get to watch these Premier Leagues in the FA Cup trot out youth teams, rest their goalkeepers, approach the whole 90 minutes with low intensity, almost pre-season motivation against lower league grunters with their non-Premier League haircuts, which are an abomination. I mean, Bournemouth made 11 changes for their game. 11 changes.
1: Yeah, they're playing on also crap pitches. Well, that's the romance of the in, FA in Cup. The, it, at the crappest time of the year. So we're there at the second weekend of January, where in England, as you know, there is absolutely no sunlight whatsoever. Oh,
0: it's the best year, time of the year if you're a <laughs> druid. It
1: really is. And they're playing on these pitches where there is, there is, there's no rolling the ball around. The ball just bobbles And bounces in sort of odd directions like a rugby ball, like an American football all over the field.
0: And even worse, there's a massive, well, this is better for me, but this is worse for the FA Cup. There's a massive slate of Premier League games midweek. Yeah, two coming. Yeah, which forces many managers. By the way,
1: right after a a Christmas break where teams have played four. Yeah.
0: So the FA Cup, it couldn't look more junior right now. I mean, put it this way. Joel Campbell scored a goal. And he couldn't even be asked to pull a pacifier out of his pants. <laughs> the, the baby was still down there with the pacifier in its mouth. Yeah, he just couldn't be asked to pull it out and stick it in his own gob because it was just the FA. The best football I watched all weekend, David. Yeah was when Chris Stapp's Porzingis just calmly brought the basketball Oh,
1: that was amazing. Did that little uh, double kick. He did a double
0: keepy-uppy and then he just palmed it in his giant digits and just blithely tossed it away. No, he was good. I just kept thinking, Jürgen Klinsmann is Mm -hmm. watching this and then counting down the days till Porzingis is eligible for US selection. Uh,
1: He's not nearly German enough, Roger.
0: And then at Ian Dark, tweets, no way of sugarcoating this. Some Premier League managers are insulting FA Cup with their selections. What else are they going to win? A great question from Sarean.
1: I don't know. I mean, let's face it. I don't think there are many Premier League managers who are going to save their jobs by a by an FA Cup run.
0: Got into the quarter final last year.
1: Board directors. Yeah, it doesn't matter. What's your league position?
0: Yeah. I mean, their jobs are measured on the money they're bringing into the club. Yeah. It Comes from Premier League placement, Champions yeah. League placement, and mm-hmm. most importantly of all, avoiding relegation. Yeah. And when this fixture list is just so thick, so fast, I mean, it feels like Liverpool are playing more nights this January than they are not playing football. Mm-hmm. Neon Doc's question is noble and beautiful. Yeah. But ultimately, I mean, if you think about it, football is not about glory anymore. For fans, it is. But for the managers, absolutely not. And so the question is, Dave, what would the most creative American sports executive do to save the FA Cup?
1: Well, I'll tell you, the moment for me of the FA Cup this weekend being a Chelsea fan, by the way, who did field a very strong team because he's still trying to find his best team. He's still trying to like, get back to form. But the moment, of course, was when Ruben Loftus-Cheek got a chance to play and scored his first ever goal in a real Chelsea game. It was a big moment. So I kind of feel that the FA Cup, the only salvation is to make it count for the younger players, the fringe players who don't get a chance, who will bring everything. By the way, the fans want to see these players play. They want to see their youth players play. And I feel like that's where the FA Cup is going. By the way, whether it's by act of the Football Association or whether this is just what the Premier League teams are going to do to it.
0: I mean, I feel the same about the US Open Cup. It's like missed potential. It needs more sponsors. It needs yeah. more. My football revolves around money and motivation. Mm-hmm. Work out how to get sponsors involved to give it more money. I mean, they often talk in England about maybe giving a Champions League place, which will never happen, yeah. uh, for winning the FA Cup. One thing I would think about doing, yeah. and I can imagine it would be the most American thing to happen, which they'd never do, is make the tournament, instead of playing out dribbles, drabbles, next round in two weeks' time and then three weeks later, take all those weeks at their FA Cup week, jam them together, make March like a March Madness almost, jam all the games together, have the whole tournament play out over the course of a month. The narrative is allowed to breathe, make it so I like that idea. It's almost, televisual. it could be... And then, and
1: then Butler will end up winning it. Yeah, it could be the winter break, and you could decide how seriously you want to go and take it. But it could essentially be the Premier League's winter break. Oh, or just award. Whichever
0: lower-seeded team mm-hmm. wins a game, they get to have Marouane Fellaini play for them. Yeah. That's another way you can actually make the game's fillers more at stake. Or else have just have Ricky Gervais host the whole thing.
1: I also think that something's going to happen. I was just thinking about this. Um, they were talking during the Chelsea game about Chelsea's disastrous preseason coming over here and losing to Red a Bulls. very young Red Bull team. Um, you know, really just...
0: You killed Jose Mourinho, Red Bulls.
1: Arsing around in the US for far too long, players not being in great shape, playing very, very few, uh, even marginally competitive games. That the preseason needs a whole readdressing if these teams are going to be ready from week one to go and play in Premier League, in Europa League, in Champions League. All these things that have to happen very early in the season. Maybe that's a place for the FA Cup to go. But there's too much inventory. Read, you mentioned sponsors, Rog. The issue is. There's way too much soccer inventory these days. There are so many competitions, and not just in the in England. There's so many competitions across Europe. There are emerging leagues like MLS. There are international competitions, things like the CONCACAF Gold Cup, Copa America, which didn't even used to, or the uh, the African Cup of Nations, didn't even used to resonate when we were kids in Britain, but are now on television as well.
0: Now it's must-watch. I know. There's way, way more football. Like the League Cup, one of the most important tournaments in World football, yeah. now that, Everton are, <laughs> now in the that semifinals. Everton are in
1: the semi-finals. Yeah, very true. OK, Rog, let's get into it. Let's start at Old Trafford. Manchester United 1, Sheffield United nil. Another turgid performance from Louis van Gaal's army. United <laughs> needed a last-minute Wayne Rooney penalty to prevent a replay with the League One Blades.
0: Oh, how low can you go? Manchester United. Their predicament summed up by Dennis Law, the United star of the 60s and 70s, who was asked this week if the team he played for in the 1960s would beat the 2015-16 edition. And he thought about it and then said, seriously, they'd win 1-0. And when asked why they'd only win by such a narrow margin, Lord joked, because we're all in our 70s now. That's very funny. Against Sheffield United, League One, baseball double-A equivalent, Dave. not just League One, but mid-table League One. Yeah. I mean, it's all being said, a sleeping giant from England's one-time even the best city. team in Sheffield, Rod. It's arguable, David. Yeah. I think they're probably 11th or 12th <laughs> by now. But even by Manchester United's recent brutal standards, this mm-hmm. was negative tactics, lack of application from a fairly full-strength team. I mean, there's an image going around right now on social media of a United fan fast asleep in his seat during the
1: game. Once again, you had a team, Sheffield United, you've got to give some credit to. They came to play. It means a lot to them. They pressed. They harried. They prevented Man United from playing. They're dangerous from set pieces. They put pressure on them. The crowd get nervous, especially these home games for Premier League sides where they all feel like they should be winning 6-0, 7-0. And credit the lower league sides who go to these bigger teams are starved of possession but still find a way to apply pressure.
0: This was peak Van Gaal-era United though, Davo. Possession without purpose, territorial dominant without a shot on goal until the 70th minute. Mm-hmm. I mean, the humiliation of Van Gaal just having to sit there as Memphis took a shot that went somewhere near <laughs> the post and the Old Trafford crowd just jumped up and cheered it ironically and full-throatedly. It was a snog. It also broke my heart watching Bastian Schweinsteiger rumble round Bayern have dumped Bastion Mm -hmm. on United way past his sell-by date. He's become the master of the sideways pass and the bulging tummy. Mm -hmm. My five-year-old son, though, has fallen in love with him. (laughs) And I'm desperately trying to buy one of those Chinese SS action figures that you you should have in their modern. I'm desperately on eBay trying to find one of those. But but I felt even more sorry for Rob Stone at (laughs) halftime on Fox. This is his quote. We tried hard to find some highlights. It was slim pickings. He said with a smile. I mean, all that renaissance of the Swansea City triumph, the hopes it would be that United were turning a corner, hopes long dash, Wayne Rooney dropping deep to get the ball, Rooney's haircut plus the rain equals Brian Urlacher realising it's too late to get his money back. I mean, it did, it took 70 minutes for that shot to come in. It was only when Memphis came on that United started to threaten. He looked class against League One opposition, drew in the penalty heartbreakingly against a tired... Sheffield defence, Rooney's celebration there when he converted it, David.
1: Oh, he doesn't like Sheffield, Rog. You'd think he, he... He had a bad night in Sheffield when he was a teenager. Oh,
0: that's the only kind of good night in <laughs> Sheffield, David. It was pure relief. Whenever it was, he celebrated it as if he'd just scored a, a tournament winner in a crucial game. And the players were then met with the criticism of Paul Scholes, who said, United stars, they look bored. Can it be any more damning indictment of the Manchester United talent, David.
1: They do look bored. But is that a little bit, all of us being bored and therefore seeing it, transferring it, projecting that onto the players?
0: (sighs) We're all just molecules.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's always this sense (laughs) when our teams aren't playing well that some of us are more (laughs) molecules than others, Rog. But there's always a sense when we're watching teams aren't playing well that we think that the players aren't inspired or we're thinking that the players aren't working hard enough. We'll get to that later when we talk about Aston Villa. But sometimes, is that not also us projecting that onto the players
0: it's a deep question David I don't know but I think the answer to that is something to do with at the end of the day the world is just balanced on the back of a turtle (laughs) and then it's turtles all the way down I've
1: never heard the turtle theory but I like it
0: I say the last thing brutal image of this game for me was at the end when Louis van Gaal walked off the field that long walk at United they have to make past the fans And he, he just Past tried to wave to the United faithful yeah. in victory, yeah. only to have one fan give him a huge, angry double thumbs down. From oh, I know. Painfully, excruciatingly close up. I mean, uh-huh. Louis van Gaal...
1: It's better it, than a double wanker sign, though.
0: Oh, it's only barely, though, David. Yeah. I mean, he is to visionary football management at this point, what Sean Penn is to ethical journalism.
1: <laughs> For more on Man United, a little less on Sean Penn, we turn now to someone who is more qualified than us to analyse... The game, Rog, a gentleman who tweeted during the game at Old Trafford, I am bored, the one and only Charlie is a Red.
3: Hello, everybody. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. I hope you all had a good
1: one. We're better than you,
0: Charlie, by the sound of your (laughs) tweets. Yeah. When you're bored of United, Charlie, surely you're bored of life so young. Tell us the emotions that you experienced that led to that bomb drop of a tweet.
3: Well, it's... It's very difficult being a United fan at the moment. It's it's definitely hard. You try being Um, a Chelsea fan. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm glad I'm not one if I'm personally honest at the moment. But in in the last ten home games, we've not scored in the first half. Old Trafford used to be a fortress, so for us to go from being a fortress and scoring loads of goals to now not scoring in the first half in ten games, it's... Very boring.
0: The answer to how a fortress becomes not a fortress you can learn about by spending a huge amount of your young time playing Clash of Clans, I believe. (laughs) But you've got better things to do. You said something beautiful after the game. You said, I'm not one for negatives. I try and stay positive. But United were... Positively
3: awful. It just happened.
0: Did you stay to the end, Charlie?
3: Um, I did, yeah.
0: You were one of the um, few. On your way home, after that win, the win of the most insipid kind, what changes went through your head that you want to see now in the oh, next coming
1: weeks? Time to be awfully it, positive.
3: When I was coming home, it was sort of an odd feeling because you'd felt like you'd lost, whereas you'd actually won. Because we scored so late in the game and also we played so, so positively awful, um, it, was just, it was just really weird and you know I can't I'm going to back the manager until he's into, uh, while he's here and I'm going to back, back <laughs>
1: That's the manager not backing the manager while he's here is not yeah. it's not really a ringing endorsement it's not really a vote of confidence Charlie anyway carry on <laughs>
3: Yeah, so I'm going to back the manager while he's here. And if the board feel they need to make a change, then they can make the change. I'm not someone who's going to be able to influence that change. Uh Um, And people need to start to understand that. So instead of slating the manager, we might as well just um, speak about the positives and then maybe the team might see it and actually think, ah, yeah, we did that, let's build on that.
1: But, Charlie, what do you want to see the team do that they're not doing now?
3: I just feel like... When the t- when the team will enjoy themselves and when the team will finally realise to play for the badge on the front of the shirt, not the name on the back, when they realise that and they try and play with passion and energy and they play like Manchester United used to, well, it's basically impossible now, but if they just play with a bit of passion and a bit of motivation, I... I'd be so happy. It'd it'd be such a difference.
0: Play play for Chevrolet, lads. Come on. Play (laughs) for Chevrolet. United, a fifth. Three points off fourth place, Charlie, despite all of this darkness that hangs over you at Old Trafford. Where will United be at the end of the season if you were to predict, if you were a betting boy?
3: Well, I'd love to say first. um, But... (sighs) I hope we're in the top three, but I don't... I'm I'm not too confident, but I hope it's around that radius.
1: Brilliant, Charlie. Well, thank you so much. Cool. Thank you. Your pain is our
0: gain, Charlie. It is wonderful to have you back on the show, and we look forward to having you back on before the end of the season.
1: Charlie.
3: Cool.
1: Study hard.
0: (laughs) Rock on, Charlie.
3: Yes. Bye.
1: Well, that's a ringing endorsement, Rog. He's going to support the manager. While he's still there. (laughs) (laughs) While he's still there. I love it.
0: Oh, we had a a great tweet. I wish I'd asked him about At Weeman Basher, Mm -hmm. wanted to know, is it still a sad nap even if your team won the match? Hashtag Mm -hmm. MUFC.
1: Yeah, I know. It's odd. A post-win sad nap, Rog. Okay, Exeter, two. Liverpool, two. Rog, the League Two Grecians, I love their nickname, earn a replay at Anfield worth a lot of money to them after drawing to a Liverpool side with some very NFL shirt numbers, 34, 48, 56. Jurgen Klopp's side's average age was 22. It (sighs) featured only three players with more than four first-team appearances. They had to come from behind twice. The second time, a reflex finish from Brad Smith in the 73rd minute.
0: A oh, high-intensity football comes at a price, Dave-o, Yeah. as Liverpool are finding out after their Capital One Cup semi-final against Stoke in which they lost Philippe Coutinho yeah. and Dejan Lovren. Yeah. The injury list now shows 13 first-teamers out, seven yeah. with hamstring injuries. The result, many critics almost delighting in noting of a sudden change for their bodies uh, to the demands of Jurgen Klopp and the relentless running his style. Demands. Klopp also struggled with long term fitness towards the end at Borussia Dortmund. Yep. And so, on a cold Friday night in the southwestern tip of the country, a beautiful part of the country, David.
1: Well, uh, Exeter itself, not that beautiful, but it's the gateway to a beautiful part of the country. Oh,
0: well, that field that they played on, it looked as if a 16th century cavalry battle had recently been fought on it. It probably was. And Klopp, that was the youngest starting 11 in the team's history. It was all young. Raw, blooded talent. Bizarrely enough, Liverpool's worst players were the established veterans. <laughs> poor, poor Christian Benteke. Oh. And, oh, Adam Bogdan.
1: Tough name. What can you say That's about that? Bogdan? That's a tough Adam name. Bogdan? That name doesn't make you feel much better after a bad performance.
0: Oh, flapping at a corner as it whizzed straight in right by him. We're, we're often accused of being ginger apologists on this yep. show. I'll just say Adam Bogdan. You make that very, very hard. <laughs> For us, there were bright points for Liverpool. Teixeira, yeah Ryan Kent, and Sheo Joe. They all look very promising. Mm-hmm. But because of the lineup, because of the injuries, because of the fixture pilot, because of the field, many Liverpool fans are actually incredibly realistic about this result against a hard grafting Exeter side. Did you see their manager, Paul Tisdale? The only flash thing about them.
1: Yeah, it looks good.
0: Yeah, he's long lauded as the most fashion conscious manager in the annals of English football. Yeah. On the sideline in his signature pork pie hat. Love it. I don't. I'll,
1: I'll, I'll <laughs> you li- don't like a pork but You love a hat. I love a hat.
0: I feel awkward about a pork pie. I like really? a pork pie on Justin Timberlake.
1: Yeah, Trilby it's usually called. I right? like
0: a pork pie on Brad Pitt. Yeah. I like it on Walter White very, very much. Uh-huh. Less so on Paul Tisdale. Well, interesting. My favourite moment of the weekend, my favourite moment of the entire FA Cup, Yeah. Jurgen Klopp was introduced to the magic of the FA Cup he was in front of the sponsor step and repeat wall doing his pre-match interviews. Everything looked normal. Mm-hmm. And then the camera just shifted a little to his right and showed he was pressed up against a kitchen sink full of dirty <laughs> teacups. And then the camera just awkwardly moved even further right and showed there were two Exeter tea ladies squeezing together a foot <laughs> out of camera shot, two English beauties who both looked like they were last seen on television screens
1: in Children of the Corn 2.
0: Wow. And he just dealt with it. With incredible style. And it's been in
1: England a couple of months. This is what England is like all the time. He deals with everything. Sinks full of dirty (laughs) teacups and two tea ladies. (laughs) That is basically everywhere you go in England. I'm going to England tomorrow night. You know what I'm going to see? Almost within an hour of arrival. A sink full of dirty teacups and two tea ladies. Yeah, not one tea lady. No, two. They, travel in, they travel in they pairs. They travel in packs. Yeah.
0: I, well, he deals with everything the same way, though, Dave. With his just pack-a-day smoker's cough that he uses to calm down even the most surreal of moments. Yeah. I realise it's his social pitching wedge. When he's, chi- when he's in a difficult social situation, yeah. he just has to throw his big German head back and let out that Klopp
1: Kappel. Yeah, let out those gnashes. Yeah, sure, just give it bifters. Yeah, giving it bifters. Rod.
2: By the
0: way, Exeter. Yeah. Their profit from the draw plus the replay yeah. will be over a million dollars. That is the magic of the FA Cup. Yeah. And Kevin Doyle, Mr. Mosley of
1: Downton Abbey fame. He got it right, didn't he, Rog? He predicted, after having a taste of his pie, he predicted a draw. He saw it. And he then, foresaw it. And then a
0: five-nil bottom spanking back in Anfield for wow. Liverpool. Hashtag pie don't lie.
1: We will see, Rog. Okay, Chelsea two, Scunthorpe nil. A professional performance from a Chelsea side that included a full complement of first teamers against League One Scunthorpe. Goals from Diego Costa and second half substitute Ruben Loftus Cheek, his first for Chelsea. Repel a well-organised iron side and move Chelsea into the fourth round.
0: Diego Costa scores again. Yeah. In the week, Good goal, actually. In the week that he's shown he's bored now of fighting opposition players. <laughs> he's going to fight his own. He's going to move on to fighting his own. Yeah. The notion of Costa and Oscar.
1: I know. It's not a fair fight. It, it sounds you, can't, t- you can't have players from different weight divisions go against each other in UFC, Roger, or in boxing. I
0: just imagine it's as close as we'll get to watching a yeah. viper and a mongoose as two humans can ever get. The
1: most amazing thing about that story is it was Oscar who apologised afterwards. <laughs> That was the, just the, that, that, that is the level of pressure that he's applying on people, that his own teammates apologise afterwards. They need him. Yeah, well, they do need him. He was good. He had a very, very good game. Looks very, very active. He ran his little legs off. He does have legs a bit like Thomas Muller's. I noticed this. He's just got something. He's lost a lot of weight. And he's looking a bit Thomas Muller leg. He loses out in the shins. Good. No, he is. He just he loses, loses the He's got those bandy Thomas Muller legs right now. Uh, he had a good game. He was aggressive. He was obnoxious. He did all the things you are used to. He put an arm and a hand in an opponent's face. He did all the things you're used to. But he ran a lot and um, uh, performed very well. I mean, look, still a lot of the same problems for Chelsea. Ramirez, I mean, cannot put a pass to one of his own... Uh, Players And he
0: brought down Kevin Van
1: Veen. Oh, yeah. The
0: iron, that's who they are. Scunthorpe, the United Kingdom's largest steel processing centre, which means it's not that big. Yeah. Also known as the industrial garden town, which is very romantic. Yeah, he looked good, Van Veen. Yeah, he buzzed the post of a free kick. But scummers, they won't get no penalty love at Stamford Bridge. It was what they call in football a nailed-on penalty. Mm -hmm. Nailed-on, one of the few football phrases, I hate more than fizzing the ball into a dangerous area. yeah. Um, but Fabricas had a good game. Matt P. Mullis tweeted, there's clearly an inverse relationship between Seth's level of play and the amount of spray tan he's using. Yeah,
1: very true. There's only one significant thing that really happened for Chelsea. That's the goal for Ruben Loftus-Cheek. A very, very well taken goal. He played in the number 10 role, not where Mourinho had him playing, which was sort of in a Matic role, sort of a big guy in defensive midfield. He played in the number 10 role. He, he uh, replaced Oscar. And it was that late break into the penalty area. Great finish with his left foot. Uh, he's a big boy. He's a large, large athlete, Rog.
0: Ruben Loftus-Cheek here has begun. His yeah. first shot on goal for the senior team. Yeah. It's his first goal for the senior team. And his freedom that he played with, yeah. I'd say symbolic of the relaxed new vibe. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a vibe. A it is a vibe, Rog. It is. San Jose Mourinho, the place is eerily akin to an angry septic boil that's been expertly lanced, David. That's yeah. how I like to think about
1: it. Two important games for Chelsea this week. West Brom and uh, at home on Wednesday. And then, Rog, the Men in Blazers derby, the Blazerico uh, coming up <sighs> next Saturday. I'll be there at Stamford Bridge, Chelsea against I'll Everton. I'll be there
0: behind my couch <laughs> in every one of the 90 minutes.
1: Uh, I enjoyed this game. It's one of the highlights of the weekend, Rog. Tottenham 2, Leicester 2. The marquee third-round fixture. It's going to need a replay, Roger, at the King Power Stadium to decide a winner. Harry Kane came off the bench and converted an 89th minute penalty. was never going to miss that. His 50th career goal for Spurs, amazing. Yeah,
0: they're going to play each other three times. It's amazing. Within 10 days. And what do we learn then from round one? Mm-hmm. Not a huge amount because Leicester's starting 11 was really a reserve string. Ben yeah. Chilwell, Marcin Vasileski yeah. and Johan Benalouan. Yeah. The core of their bat line, one league start between the three of them. Uh-huh. Um, Spurs won. kind of fresh face. Josh Onoma. The 18-year-old midfield prospect who'd only had nine minutes of league action mm-hmm. before. And Kevin Wimmer, nice to see him, the Austrian defender who played before at Cologne. And the game began with Tottenham dominating in their 2015-16 style, their signature interchangeable attacking style. Yeah. Chadley flying down the flank, Blasting the ball at a good height, you could say, for Schmeichel. Yeah. But he just punched it back down the gut of the box.
1: Yeah, I know. An odd decision to punch it. And in swoops, Eriksson, Rog, pretty simple finish.
0: Oh, I thought it was fantastic, though. He finished it with the accuracy as if the pooch was a magnet and the ball was made out of nickel. Yeah. But Leicester's equaliser, total shock.
1: Yeah, from a set piece, Rog, Vasilevsky. He gets free. I love the look of this man. He looks like a rugby player, Rog. He yeah. looks like something out of... Black Ops. He doesn't really look like a professional footballer. Yeah, if you've
0: player. not seen him, he's a swarthy, bearded man. He looks very house gray joy. He's a bloke yeah. who delights in paying the iron price. He'd already been nutmegged once, humiliated. I think mm-hmm. he'd been yellow carded. Yeah, and he, he just simply
1: maybe g- red carded, but just refused <laughs> to leave the field. Rod,
0: I wouldn't argue with him yeah, no, was a referee, and he just gutted his way mm-hmm. through the traffic of the set piece to storm home and get his head to the corner. When I see this guy, Dave uh-huh. I think about a story I read in a Lemmy-o-bit, the motorhead great. Mm-hmm. A doctor once told Lemmy that a transfusion would kill him because his body no longer contained any human blood. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what was it? Bat blood. I didn't think about that. I know, probably something else. Just synthetic blood.
0: I just imagine it was all beer, heroin, <laughs> and used condoms.
1: <laughs> Pretty much. But then Lester took the lead. Rog. <laughs> Fills my heart with joy, Okazaki.
0: Oh, he fills everyone's heart with joy. Super sub, yeah. came on for Kante, and then he had a jinking run, mm-hmm. a bit of luck, and a goal within two minutes of coming on. But then uh, the penalty, Rog. Kane trotted on. He'd actually barely got a touch of the ball, mm-hmm. but then he thrashed home a very, very dodgy, very late penalty, which he celebrated. Yeah, I've got to say, dave if you were a Spurs fan mm-hmm. with a top four place up for grabs, yeah. some saying that a title case can be made for this Spurs team. Without a doubt. Europa League participation still going on. Uh-huh. And a manager whose teams are known to tire in the final third of a season. Yeah. Wouldn't you want to avoid a replay? and actually prefer to be out the effort. The draw is the worst kind of result for this Spurs team. My mind says yes. My heart says no. I know a lot of Spurs fans are like, we've not won a trophy
1: in a long time. The FA mm-hmm. Cup's... are.
0: I'd say a draw feels worse than a loss to some degree. These guys are going to have to go again and again.
1: Yeah, but when your fans, they've paid good money to come and see you play, they're packed there, you you don't want to lose at home. You don't want to lose at home. don't want to lose momentum, Rog. okay. Wickham won. Aston Villa won. Villa give up a 1-0 lead to League 2 Wickham at Adams Park, keeping Remy Gard winless in 10 games (sighs) since taking over for Tim Sherwood. Tensions boiled over post-game with angry Villa fans. Don't blame them confronting Captain Michael Richards I think
0: the word angry is just redundant they're just Villa fans at this point but the magic of the Villa
1: travelling Villa away fans at Wickham
0: the magic of the FA Cup is that little teams have a chance Mm -hmm. like Aston Villa (laughs) and they didn't take it against Wickham with their beautiful two-tone blue quartered jersey Wickham of course the town hitherto best known as the hometown of 80s pop star Howard Jones Mm -hmm. things will only get better and they did for Wickham after conceding early to a morose Micah Richards.
1: a yeah, pretty good finish for a centre back, Rod. But the, back to his old right backing days. Talking
0: about fantastic finishes, Wickham won a slightly dodgy penalty yeah. given away by Westwood in the corner of the box, and the mm-hmm. penalty was thumped home by Joe Jacobson. Yeah. The first British Jew to play professional football for oh, twenty
1: five years. David. Exciting, Rod. <laughs> Mind blowing, honestly, are, David? You a Wickham fan? are we buying Wickham? Oh. Are we buying Wickham now? What well, just Joe they Jacobson?
0: Are, they are heavily in debt, David. Yeah. So they are available. Uh-huh. Sponsored by Beach Dean Farmhouse Ice Cream. Yeah, I like that. Of whom the stadium parking lot was in shop for the entire
1: game. Mm-hmm. And it
0: was barely full. Yeah. I mean, they they are beset How by... How much
1: Beach Down Farmhouse Ice Cream do you think they're selling in January? In England? <laughs> in Wickham? I think the Around bra- the world?
0: I've got to say, whatever they're paying their brand exposure in the United States, David. Yeah over the weekend, is worth every penny. Very true. But this club is beset by debt. Their manager, Gareth Ainsworth, at the final whistle, punched the air in celebration. More cash coming in from a replay. Mm-hmm. As a player, he was known as Wild Thing. And he looks now like someone would, who would hunt you down in a Guy Ritchie movie. He's <laughs> got the look of a young Bill Nighy about him, actually. Yeah, it does, very much so. But the scenes shown over and over at the end were Micah Richards...
1: Yeah, getting into it with the fans. How did this all start, though, Rog? Well,
0: according to the English players, David, this yeah. is a sad and brutal story. It's not one I take any delight in. Yeah. The cause of the fracas, Brad Guzan. <gasps> yes, our own beloved. Yeah. We've been praying for him all this yeah. time. And he and Julian Lescott, they spent the second half on the bench playing a game which involved who could spit the ball of chewing gum furthest from the bench over the pitch line. Huh. And the fans then decided to tell them they weren't, quote, proper Villa, to which Brad Guzan and Julian Lescott took turns in telling them to... um,
1: Wow. It's
0: one of the greatest sins that a player in the relegation zone, any kind of player, can do. Number one, engage fan. Yeah. Number two... Abuse fan. (laughs) Number two, (laughs) tell fans to... Yeah. I mean, it's just a... Fans like to believe that you are as passionate about the team as they are. Yeah. Fans are rarely interested in... Chewing gum, spitting distance records. Yeah, hashtag Pray for Guzan, David.
1: Wow, well, pray for Guzan. We got we we're gonna have to like uh, say slightly different prayers, right <laughs> I think from now on.
0: At uh, this tweeted us to say Villa is the Playboy mansion of football clubs. They once attracted top celebs. Now only Carrot Top and Paulie Shaw frequent the place. Mm-hmm. But don't worry, the cavalry is coming. Villa, American sports executive Tom Fox, ex NBA Asia, now Aston Villa's CEO is headed to our city, New York, for crisis meetings with Randy Lerner to try and right the sinking ship. Uh-huh. Manager Remy Gard has begged Lerner to speak up, Dave, and talk about his f- plans for the club. Yeah, And General Charles Krulak, the Aston Villa board member who served both in Vietnam and the first Gulf War, mm-hmm. has said he, quote, faced way bigger losing battles and won them in his military career than the predicament currently facing the Premier League's bottom club, that doesn't exactly inspire you with confidence. And also, really he visible? did have
1: helicopter gunships and napalm, <laughs> one assumes, and the US Navy. Uh, OK, and the Air Force, by the way. He had, he had quite a lot of ammunition that Aston Villa, pff, one thinks, probably won't employ or deploy uh, at some point in the Premier League you campaign. You're clearly
0: underestimating Rudy are you uh, <laughs> your peril.
1: Yeah, very true. OK, other scores of note, Rog. Oxford United, three. Swansea, Two.
0: In the week, Swansea appoint Alan Curtis as manager until the end of the season, and Curtis says, "I've never really seen myself as a manager before." Yeah, he Re- won't be
1: doing it for long. <laughs> Re- reassuring
0: words, I'm sure, for the Swansea hardcore. Yeah, he celebrated by watching his beleaguered team outworked and outthought by League Two contenders, fourth-tier Oxford, and he later told the media, "Our players couldn't cope."
1: Uh, Norwich nil, Manchester City three. Oh, solo piece of poetry for Kun Aguero. Doncaster, one, Stoke, two.
0: Oh, Doncaster Rovers, League One side. Their midfield, this story gives me no pleasure, Davo. Their midfielder Richard Chaplow made the mistake of getting the same train home as a posse of Stoke fans. Chaplow is a bald young man. He has been since a bout of uh, glandular fever made his hair fall out as a youth. Hmm. And the Stoke fans did what football fans do. They surrounded him. And chanted, he looks like my thumb, he looks like my thumb. Richard Chaplow, he looks like my thumb. Oh. Which Richard Chaplow videoed and put on Twitter. The video's actually up on Deadspin. And the amazing thing about the video, Dave, this huge Stoke posse screaming at a bald man. At least three I counted are the Stoke aggressors. They're bald themselves, Dave. <laughs>
1: They're deniers, They look rog. like are they're they deniers.
0: They are deniers, Dave. and they look like their thumbs too. And I just say, bald nation, Yeah. if we don't love ourselves, who yeah. will love us for us? It's Hashtag very, bald self-love.
1: Very true, Rog. Okay, and finally, the big one, Everton, two. Dagenham and Redbridge, nil.
0: Oh, a game broadcast radio only. <laughs> it's like a return to my youth. FA Cup, severely diminished entity, Dave. As, as I said earlier, it's no League Cup or the Capital One Cup, Cup as it's yeah. now and now.
1: Yeah, Roger, 2-1 up in that one at the end of the first leg against Manchester City. Oh, David.
0: A fearless, a resilient performance, that, last Wednesday. Yes, City collectively sleepwalked around the field. Mm-hmm. yeah, Toure was so disinterested in his performance. It was actually borderline <laughs> avant-garde at this point. <laughs> Everton grabbed the winner seconds after conceding yeah. to the beautiful yet incompetent Jesus Navas. Mm-hmm. Mo Besic and Gareth Barry were imperious. Yeah. God, I love Mohamed Besic. yeah. Martinez has called him a contagious footballer. Mm -hmm. He's a player who seems to be energised by the goodest and faithful. Mm -hmm. And then he energises the rest of his team as a result. His knockout tackle. I think
1: Martinez might have meant it literally. (laughs) (laughs) He he
0: did this tackle on Yaya Toure. I mean, it just shattered the Ivory and it made it a magic night that I shall long remember. I'll just say, rarely is a game that is irrelevant. Like the semi-final of the League Cup mattered so much to me. And the bad news about the victory is that the pain of the 4-0 beatdown we'll get the next leg at Manchester City is really going to hold What me. is the
1: tiebreaker? Do away goals count double in Bizar- Capital Bizar- One?
0: They do, but only after extra time,
1: oddly Interesting. enough. So it's designed to go to penalties, basically. Yeah, pretty okay.
0: much. We are doomed, Dave. I did, yeah. JWA, producer Jw, sent me an article this yeah. week about Minnesota Vikings coach mm-hmm. Mike Zimmer. That it was a Times article that said, trouble with winning, enjoying it. And Zimmer admitted, I've got a hard time enjoying wins. You like to win, you're excited about it, but the next week's another challenge. I immediately start to think about how I get my team ready. I wish I could enjoy things more, but there's always another thing I need to get done. And I realised, me and Mike Zimmer, David.
1: <laughs> JW was really preaching to the choir, sending you that article. <laughs> I realised,
0: me and Mike Zimmer, yeah. I believe we're both suffering from a case of cherophobia, uh-huh. the fear of doom being <laughs> always just around the corner Yeah, against Chelsea next weekend.
1: Ah, already preparing yourself. You're preparing yourself for victory by preparing yourself for loss, Rog. Convincing yourself that there's no way possible that you can get a result out of the game so that when it happens, it can feel even better. I love it. Managing expectations. Transparent, We had a
0: great try. I've got to read this one. At Ryan J. Paradis, being an Everton fan is tough. It leaves you devoid of emotion, but try being both an Everton and a Bengals fan. Yeah. God bless.
1: Hard, hard, hard. Uh, Other Premier League uh, teams' results: Rod, Southampton one, Palace two, West Brom two, Bristol City two, Watford one, Newcastle nil, West Ham one, Wolves nil, and finally Birmingham one, Bournemouth two. Oh, Up the cherries, Rog.
0: James Alexander Gordon. Yeah,
1: was looking down
0: at you with pride as you read those out, David.
1: Yeah, the defending FA Cup champions, Roger, Arsenal, advanced against Big Sam's Sunderland 3 1, courtesy of goals from Joel Campbell, Olivia Giroux, and Aaron Ramsey.
0: I mean, this was the game in which Hector Bellerin showed Andre Yedlin how an elite right back with pace can destroy an opponent. Mm-hmm. Such a good play. It's not just about pace, it's about decision making and intelligence. And this pass for the third goal, Giroux's obligatory notch, yeah, took out five defenders. Deliriously, Arsenal blooded a 17-year-old French midfielder, Jeff Ran Adelaide, uh-huh. who I think they only signed because he has three names, yeah. like all of their young players. Uh-huh. He's 17. They signed him this year. i say this for him. He's got the name of an elite footballer. Yeah. Jeff. Like <laughs> well, Jeff. I thought you meant Adelaide. Like Jeff Cameron.
1: Certainly, Fox's pre-game show was all about Yedlin. It was all Yedlin all of the time, Rog. It was as though no one else was playing in the FA Cup. Other than the American, (laughs) DeAndre, Yedlin. Rog, Okay, with a two-point lead at the top of the table, there's a sense that Arsene Wenger's men could shirk their recent reputation as second half of the season chokers. We will see, David. For more on what's at stake in North London and the direction Arsenal's season is headed, we turn to the Guardian writer and author of Invincible, Inside Arsenal's unbeaten 2003-2004 season. A byline we always look forward to reading. The one and only Amy Lawrence. Welcome to Men in Blazers.
2: Hello, what a pleasure to uh, virtually meet
1: you. (laughs) We couldn't be more
0: delighted to have you on because we've got a conundrum that you're going to help us through, Amy. Two seasons ago, Arsenal, your beautiful Arsenal, were top of the table at New Year. But by March, they were flat out of the Premier League title race. What, if anything, feels different this time around for you?
2: That's a good question. Um, some things feel different and some things feel um, probably quite worryingly familiar. Um, I think what feels different is that there is a uh, a winning spirit in the team and a bit more authority, I think, in the squad than they had perhaps a couple of years ago. Obvious additions like... Um, Petr and Alexis Sanchez and the evolution, if you like, of Mesut Ozil. And I think when he first arrived from Real Madrid, perhaps understandably when you were playing with Ronaldo and you were at you know, arguably the biggest team in the world, it might have seemed like a small step down to him. And I think he probably thought, oh, this is OK. I've come to London. It's not bad. <laughs> the team's quite nice. I quite like Arsene Wenger. And it took him a little while to, I think, really comprehend what was required to to get fully integrated as a player, as a person, and also realize, you know what, I'm really into this, which he now is. So you, right there you've got three very, very high-class performers who are, as well as being great players, people who know what it takes to win big prizes in football. And... Mentality-wise, having won the two successive FA Cups, I think is something that's made them feel a lot better about themselves. The whole Arsenal didn't win anything for five years, six years, seven years, eight years, nine years thing was a bit of an issue. And the fact that's no longer an issue, I think, is helpful.
1: You know, the mentality thing, I'm glad you brought that up. Because if I remember rightly, two years ago when they were leading, they had a terrible record against the top six. And I think they ended the season with a terrible record against the top six as well. And it was all part of the whole thing, they can't beat the big teams. This season already, I think their record against the top six is almost unmatched. And for the rest of the season, I think they've got to go away to a bunch of those teams in the top half of the table. But you just feel differently about this team. I certainly do watching them.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, uh, uh, never mind kind of looking at the fact they've got to go to, to, to lots of these teams between now and May. They've actually got to go to a couple of quite difficult places in the next week. And I think having this conversation today and having this conversation in a week's time might even be quite different. Because although Liverpool have got their issues at the moment, Anfield's not not usually a pushover. And Stoke City away is an absolute nightmare ground for, for Arsenal. And I think Stoke will be kind of... Uh, licking their lips already, really, at the prospect of that game because they they love nothing better than getting one over uh, over Arsenal and Arsenal-Vengas' team. So, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued, in a way, sitting here now, imagining the, how the conversation might go in a few days' time.
0: Amy, for those of our listeners who haven't followed your byline as closely as we have, you were a fan of Arsenal from the age of six. You became a deliriously well-respected professional following the North London team, I mean, a few journalists know Arsene Wenger as well as you do through your professional work. What do you think is going on in his head right now? Jose Mourinho's gone. He's leading the pack at the halfway point. Title very much up for grabs in his 19th season. With all the peers, Morganish detractors saying he'll never win the title again. The transfer window is yawning open. The second half of the season is there for the taking. Talk us through how you understand he'll understand what's going on.
2: Well, I think one of the things about Arsene that people don't realise is that he doesn't like to look at what other teams are doing. He is a very singular man who is quite obsessed by what's going on in his domain, which is Arsenal Football Club. Getting up in the morning and going to the training ground, getting out there on the training ground, which is where he feels free and where he feels his work Really belongs. That's what dominates his thoughts. He'll just be thinking about his team. You know, he's famous for compared to some other managers, shall we say, who who are obsessed about the you know analyzing the opponent to see which tiny fractions they can get a little detail of, of an advantage from uh, over a game. That's not really Arsene awesome. He's not not interested in the data that will help him t- to deal with a particular opponent. But what he is really fixated with is how can I get my team and my players to play the best that they can play?
0: The, the paucity of challenges in this Premier League race is actually the thing that gives me the most confidence about Arsenal's ability to land it. But after so long without a title, do you expect Arsenal's approach to the transfer window, which is now yawning open to change, this close to the promised land, Amy? Do you expect a, an unexpected big money splurge? And what would it be?
2: No, I don't. Uh, And I think that's a bit of a pity because I think that that could give them an edge. But the obvious other side to that coin is a very simple question. Who is he supposed to buy?
1: Yeah, I think Sunderland would accept 25 million for Lee Catamol.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Catamol someone who's quite high on Arsenal's radar, but maybe not quite, not quite <laughs> not, on the. Not quite.
1: I don't. Think, I don't think the fans would, uh, would 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 see the sense of humour in that.
0: I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not his agent, but I think I can get you Stevie Naismith for about forty mil. Listen, your book Invincible Inside Arsenal's unbeaten 2003-2004 season. Oh, it's the Arsenal fans' apex, the first undefeated season in over a hundred years. Many newer american arsenal fans will hear the title of this book and just assume that it's a work of science fiction <laughs> it's not it's it's a beautiful project an exploration of chemistry and team spirit as well as a tale of your own fandom but patrick vieira is the star of the book in many regards and the star the heartbeat of that invincible midfield he's recently signed on to coach NYCFC and mls from what you know of him what do you expect of patrick vieira the coach And what does it do to your Arsenal insides to see him align with the Manchester City organisation?
2: I'll deal with the second part of that question first. Um, That is a tough one for a lot of Arsenal supporters to stomach because they feel that he should be in North London. The part of your question about how he's going to fare coaching-wise is fascinating because he has had an extraordinary education as a football man, first of all as a player, under some very, very talented uh, managers. Secondly, as a player playing with some humongously talented players, both for France and for his various clubs that he played in, to be winning World Cups and European Championships, he's experienced a huge amount of of excellence in football that he's seen. Patrick is a smart man. Uh, He's an incredibly determined man. He's quite a quiet man, which is where I'm most interested to see how he he gets along. Because I think in modern management, one thing that you really need in spades is a huge sort of personality, a charisma and an aura where you can hold the attention of people that you're talking to and effectively you're educating. When he walks into the dressing room or he's on the training ground with those players, those players have to absolutely believe him and listen to everything that he says He's got huge strength of personality and he's got great charisma. But getting that across verbally, that's the key. He knows that this is where he's going to be judged. And if he wants to be a manager of a major club, probably back in Europe, which I think he does, then this has got to go quite well. So it's it's a very interesting challenge because he's dealing with a newly put together team. Of course, he's got all the backup from the Manchester City situation. And I think that will help him. But it's still, he's, he's stepping into the unknown and he knows that. So uh, I'm, I'm watching this space like the rest of you with a really interested view.
0: Well, last question. You, you've, got, you've got kids, right, Amy? I have. Have any of them witnessed the world in which Arsenal have won the Premier League?
2: Oh, no. Um, not yet. So, uh, they, they've, seen, they've seen some uh, FA Cup wins and that's gone down very well. So people who uh, say the FA Cup's nothing these days and it's all about winning the league or Champions League, I'm not sure I'd agree with that.
0: What would it mean for you? to have them experience a Premier League title win for Arsenal alongside you?
2: I remember when I first watched Arsenal win the league in 1989 and I was 17. And they won it the time before when I was born. And there was a guy next to me, a big old skinhead, rough-looking fellow. When the final whistle went, he just burst into tears. (laughs) And he was just going like, I've waited 17 years for this, like for it to happen again. And obviously the first few years of that 17 years, I was quite a small child or a baby, so I had no knowledge of it whatsoever, but I'd still waited quite a long time. I'd had the stories passed down from my my family of how they'd watched Arsenal win the league in 1971. And suddenly there I was, and I bumped off school in 1989 to, to go up to Liverpool to watch watch Arsenal win the league. And I actually remember going out and buying the newspapers the next day and thinking, that's it now. I, I can die a happy person. I've watched my team win the league. But, I mean, there was, there was a tremendous feeling of, of a sort of wow factor that this thing, this thing that felt so amazing and unachievable for, you, for all of my childhood was actually real. So it's a special, a special moment for any, any youngster lucky enough to, to experience seeing our team do that, definitely.
0: We wish you well, Amy.
2: Pleasure to speak to you.
1: Yeah, good luck, Amy. Thank you.
0: Fantastic writer, fantastic book. You
1: can't really not be a fan of that team. They were incredible, Rog. Even Jermaine Pennant was good that season. (laughs) Uh, Okay, the Ballon d'Or, Rog. Just minutes before taping this pod, the Ballon d'Or gala wrapped up at a FIFA (laughs) labyrinth in Switzerland. A massive day for US soccer. Carly Lloyd was named Women's Player of the Year and Jill Ellis received Women's Coach of the Year honour. Some guy named Lionel Messi, Rog, won the Ballon d'Or and Barcelona's Luis Enrique took home men's Coach of the Year Honours.
0: Oh, I only watched this event for the red carpet. Yeah. And it it's a bit anticlimactic. The Seacrest there. Um, no, he wasn't, Dave. Yeah. Which made it even better. Uh-huh. But Messi, after his polka dot tuxes and the purple one he wore that made him look like a ventriloquist dummy last year, mm-hmm. he looked like he just popped into men's warehouse and mm-hmm. with a modicum of dress sense. Yeah. So it was left to Carly Lloyd, who looked so elegant, to steal a design plaudits. And a momentary dropping of the guard for her, a rare... Revelation of emotion at the recognition when she was awarded her trophy for how hard she's worked to grind away to the top over the past 13 years. Jill Ellis, also incredibly articulate and graceful. I did like Sunil Galati tweeted how elated he is for Jill Ellis. It's worth looking at this tweet just for the comments underneath, such as, by the 100, are you going to allow Jill Ellis's team to actually play on grass and get the same wow. respect as the men's team? Is a tough life running US soccer. BBC calculated fifty-seven point six of winners of this trophy, Dave, have had brown hair. Only three point four percent have been ginger.
1: Wow. But the Charlton, but Charlton has been counted as ginger. I think
0: he would have gone uh, for a win in the ball column, Dave. Yeah. Fifth win for Messi. How long do we have to wait till someone not named Lionel or Cristiano wins it?
1: On the Monday after Jordan Spieth won the first PGA Tournament of the Year, finishing thirty under, just destroying the field. Uh, Roger, remember we always ask the question, could anybody come after Tiger Woods? And then suddenly Jordan Spieth has become incredibly dominant. Uh, funny, you never know where it's, it's going to come you mentioned from. you
0: mention Jordan Spieth, because I think it's going to be this year, 2016. And it's going to be when Jordan Morris lacerates the oh, field in the good Copa. Good year for Jordans. For the USA. Great tweet from at David Alessandro. Wants to know how you feel about the coaching award, Davo. Yeah. How could Jose Mourinho not win manager of the year? Yeah. He took a relegation level team mm-hmm. and won the Premier League with them. Yeah,
1: I know, I know. <laughs> Certainly that's Jose's point of view, Rog. Okay, in MLS, in what's becoming a uniquely American soccer tradition... LAFC unveiled its crest and colours in front of their official supporters club last week. Before they've ever played a game, they've got an official supporters club. They also announced Will Farrell is joining a list of owners already teeming with celebrities.
0: <gasps> There's something very funny but very moving about it at the same time. Mm-hmm. The passion for soccer in the US overflows to such an extent yeah. that they have a, pe- a group of people yeah. who will cheer, literally chant O, which they did for the whole thing, yeah. for a team that have no players. Yeah. And they're just a crest. Yeah. They've only just become a crest. They like the brand. It's a franchise, Rog. It's both surreal and fantastic in yeah. equal measure. Mm-hmm. At Dave Barnes music. Yeah. And that's Killer diggings to yeah, most of you. Exactly. He says it harkens back to the Betsy Ross 1777 American <laughs> flag reveal. Huge hype. Yeah. I mean, nowadays, Betsy Ross would hire a social team to leak incorrect flag designs onto uh-huh. Twitter to stoke up interest mm-hmm. before the official release in a little house in Philadelphia. By the way, LA now have, with Will Ferrell, 26 co-owners, David. Yeah including Magic Johnson, Mirham, the author, Tony Robbins. Yeah, makes sense. Bunch of baseball players. Uh-huh. Vincent Bloody Tan. Just like we're the only podcast President yeah. Obama has not been on. Yeah. Are we also the only people in America who are not part owners of LAFC?
1: Yeah, I, well, I've spent more time in LA than you have. I'm a little more offended than you that I haven't been contacted by the LAFC people. That's Bruegis. <laughs> very, very true, Rog. Okay, we hope to have an interview with LAFC President Tom Penn. No relation in our newsletter, which we produce with our partner Guinness this Friday. You can subscribe on meninblazers.com. Maybe okay, maybe he was
0: one of the ones chanting. In fact, <laughs> it's funny the solution. They're, the people who were chanting were the 26 owners.
1: Yeah, very very true. They're hardcore massive. Yeah, very true. Uh, Zinedine Zidane, Rog, oh. delivers a five-nil win over Deportivo La in his home debut as Real Madrid manager, thanks to a Gareth Bale <sighs> hat-trick and Karim Benzema brace. Oh, 5-0 win yeah. in
0: a game. Three goals for Manchester United's Gareth Bale. Yeah. Two for amateur pornography's Karim Benzema.
1: <laughs> Is any pornography ever amateur, Rog? I don't know.
0: <laughs> Stuff I'm going to leak off your phone. You're not <laughs> going to get paid for, do you? Um, one of my favourite guilty pleasures in football, yeah. watching Ronaldo's body language when Real Madrid scored, mm-hmm. but he wasn't the scorer. Yeah. Every time Gareth Bale scores, he looks like he's a little bit sick in his own mouth. I mean, for the fifth goal, the Portuguese held up the ball in the box, was dispossessed. The ball then fell to Benzema, who thrashed it home. Mm -hmm. Ronaldo dropped to his knees in frustration. He stayed there for a a second as the Madrid players celebrated. If you looked on, he looked more like a defender who'd conceded than an attacking legend whose team had just defenestrated their opponents. Zidane
1: was a legend. Very few legends are able to become great managers. I was thinking this when Amy Lawrence was talking about Patrick Vieira, that... There aren't many great players, of the great players who've come through any of those teams, who've ended up being successful coaches. Klinsman is a rare exception, Rog. Mm. Don't make that face. <laughs> and Beckenbauer, yeah. not a good manager. Yeah. One well, of most good managers. Platini. A lot of very, very good managers were average players or below average players. I mean,
0: Glenn Hoddle, who is a former English genius midfielder,
1: yeah, he just alienated the players he coached. Because mm-hmm. He couldn't
0: communicate to normal mere mortals uh, who are no, excellent.
1: He would make them run drills that they couldn't complete, he and that he could do. He'd be like, just in that situation, just hit a 50-yard no-look pass. It's easy. Yeah. And whether the same
0: will be true for Zidane, only time will tell. I mean, his track record is scant as a manager. I will say, he looks magnificent on the manager's bench. Mm-hmm. His angular, bony features, they just catch the light and cast shadows of mysterious darkness in exquisite fashion. He's a great-looking man.
1: He is, and he's not a bald denier. He's he's got Devo baldness. He's got that quite a lot of hair on the front. Way less bald in person, people. But he's got a big spammer right in the middle at the back. I like that. Proper Devo bald. It's his cheekbones, though. Okay, Rog, on to the Ravens. I need need to work on those. Our first Raven is from Mark Bujarski in Missouri. Very American name. I remembered the pod in which he spoke about a GFOP dating service. I want to be your first customer. Oh, God forbid. We got to do this. I got to once I get the pub up and running, GFOP dating service. I'm a Spurs fan. And it has been a dream of mine to find a girl who loves Spurs as much as I do. My
2: question. Is, <laughs> I love men.
1: My question is, am I setting myself up for automatic failure? Is there any chance for a successful relationship with a partner who also supports a team that has given me so many sad naps? Is there any chance that I can find a normal girl who is a Spurs fan? Or are we all destined to be emotional wrecks? Or is it perhaps better for Spurs fans to partner up so there is someone to ease the pain? I leave my future in your hands. Hashtag that's so Spursy. Hashtag sleepless in Joplin. i
3: trying
1: to think if I know any... Single female Spurs fans.
0: (laughs) God, your approach and my approach is so different. Yeah. I'd just say, Mm -hmm. I think your future is extremely positive. Your team's not yours. Mm -hmm. I don't know you, Mark. Yeah. But I think it helps to have a partner who shares your passion. Yeah. I mean, my wife loves football. Uh Uh-huh. And it really helps seeing as I spend so much of my life watching and even more thinking. Yeah, agreed. But my only warning would be, and this would be the question you should be asking, Who should we name our children after? Yeah. And whatever you do, don't name them Harry Kane. Yeah. Unless you also really love Real Madrid. Call them Direwolf instead. It's a beautiful name for a child.
1: Okay, Rog, the winner of the coveted Guinness Men in Blazers poet, philosopher, soccer scribe, Raven of the Week is Renato Lemma in Tampa, Florida via Peru. A Liverpool fan, thanks to Michael Owen. Rog. He writes, My beloved Reds have had many up and down seasons since I started following them, and this year has been no exception. Like you both, this season I've taken a liking to the smaller teams like Bournemouth and Leicester, especially the Foxes with their meteoric rise to the top of the league. The upcoming fixture between Leicester and Liverpool brings a serious existential conflict, as I would like to see my dear Liverpool get the three points, but I also kind of sort of want to secretly wish for a Leicester win so they can keep (sighs) rising. My question is, obviously this uh, Raven is a couple of weeks old, if your team is currently not in serious title contention, is it okay to wish that a team not named Man United, Man City, Arsenal, Chelsea, or God forbid Everton, fighting for the top spot, beats your own team just so that they can continue their quest for glory. Is this considered betrayal? Should I just not watch the game? I think Leicester have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and would love to see them winning the league. If they lose the title by two or three points, I would probably blame it on this game versus Liverpool that they didn't win. I would appreciate your advice, gents.
0: What a question, David. Yeah. Have you ever rooted against your own team?
1: Never. Never. Are and you? look, and I've, had, I've had flirtations. I've had other teams that I'm fond of. You know, San etienne Inter, Bristol City, Fulham even. But I've never cheered for any of them against my beloved Chelsea.
0: There was once when Everton were playing Arsenal and Arsenal were competing with Liverpool for the last top four
1: spot. Oh, interesting.
0: And I didn't cheer for Arsenal, but the fact they actually won the game lessened my pain. but yeah. it didn't erase it. The question actually reminds me of another one that we've been asked a lot recently, yeah. which is if your team is mid-table, Is it okay to not watch them? Because NBC have every game available. I mean, it's a question really is born of NBC's coverage as opposed to the traditional English way of watching, which is where you go to watch your local team live. So why would you stop watching your local team live? A lot of Americans have asked, the American way, mid-season, if your team is mid-table, has nothing to play for and there's a massive game at the same time with social media, second screen, focused on that massive game, which you'd rather watch live. Is it okay not to watch your...
1: This is the first year in years I'm actually going to have to deal with this, Rog. It's a
0: question I can understand that. That I can understand. But to root for your own team to lose, to be honest, it's to desecrate yourself, to erase a piece of your own identity, which you can never get back. Don't do it.
1: Yeah. Okay, Rog, your weekend looks like this, courtesy of Mini USA. Chelsea versus Everton. El Blazerico. 10 a.m. Saturday on USA Network. Look for me, Roger, I'll be waving at you.
0: God have mercy upon our souls.
1: Manchester City versus Palace at the same time on NBC SN, and Liverpool versus United 9:05 a.m. Sunday on NBCSN. And a
0: whole slate of games Tuesday, Wednesday, which is why this this pod's squeezing out with just absolute magic on the agenda.
1: Yeah, I'll be at the West Bromwich Albion game two for Chelsea. There are many ways to connect to us. One is through our Amazon Emporium, which helps keep the show going. Anytime you go on Amazon for items big or small, just click off the Emporium page. Men in Blazers gets a tiny percentage that allows us to cover the cost of creating the show. What are you going to put in the Emporium this week, Rog? A book. Oh,
0: Zinky Boys. Soviet Voices from the Afghanistan War. Wow. Amazingly human. Oral history by the Nobel Prize winner Svetlana Aleksevich.
1: Wow, light reading.
0: Recently reissued. Oh, it's dark. it It was the book's name for the sealed zinc coffin that thousands of dead Russian soldiers returned to the homeland in huh. from a war many had signed up for based on idealistic reasons, believing the media that they'd be doing humanitarian and infrastructural projects in Afghanistan and fulfill their national duty, mm-hmm. only to be exposed to the horrors of grinding warfare in which senseless death ended not only human life, but the core ideology they'd previously clung to. It is a brutal, unflinching, dark, yet breathtaking piece of work to haunt you. Long after you finish reading it.
1: Okay, Rog, you might remember last week I put in the wrist widget. I've had some terrible problems with my wrists. We've had thank a lot of you. emails. Oh, thank you so much to the GFOPS who uh, wrote in with your advice. Many of you wrote in with advice to get massages, go and see a certain doctor. I've been rubbing it. Get some tests. Uh, many, so many recommendations. So thank you so much. But there seems to be a general theme. That I've got to strengthen my wrists. And quite accidentally, I came up with a solution that already seems to be working because of my other love, Rog, juicing. And I've decided to do some manual juicing. You know, I you own many this juicing. for other podcast, juicing no, today. I know. I own many juicing machines. <laughs> I own Nutribullets. I own, I, own X- I own all kinds of different juicers. You're always juicing. But this week, I ordered from Amazon a PrepWorks by Progressive dome lid citrus juicer. It's just a fantastic juice. I enjoy Michael like Bradley in the morning. I find that it does look a bit like Michael Bradley. In the morning, I enjoy grapefruit, but I sometimes find the effort you've got to put into the slicing and dicing and cutting of a grapefruit too much. Pretty much, grapefruits are the perfect size right now. They're a little bit smaller, certainly the organic ones at this point in the winter. I like cutting them in half, whapping them straight on the prep works what, by Progressive you need Juicer. You find the word whapping. Whapping, just putting it on, slapping it on, whapping it on, and giving it a good twist. I'm doing it with both hands, Rog. It is that movement, the sort of grinding of grapefruits on the juices. It's really helping me out. It's strangely erotic. Helping my vitamin C intake, helping... My wrists. The prep works by Progressive Dome Lid Citrus Juicer. Even if you don't like citrus, do it for your wrists.
0: The artisanal juicer. The Onanist Cure.
1: (laughs) It's nothing to do with Onanism, Roger. Okay, other ways to connect to us. You can watch entire episodes of our Crap TV show on NBC Sports Live Extra, Apple TV and Roku. It's also up on our website, meninblazers.com.
0: We're back this Monday at 11.30. Don't watch.
1: <laughs> also, the next day. Also, on meninblazers.com is a place to sign up for our newsletter, The Raven, which we produce with our partner Guinness. We've got a Spotify account, men underscore in underscore blazers. We've got a Wicked Spaces, We've got a Twitter, at meninblazers, at Roger Bennett, at Embassy Davis, and Instagram at Men in Blazers and at Embassy underscore Davies. And we've also got a Facebook account. We've got a subreddit, meninblazers.reddit.com, maintained by GFOPs Akshay, Calvin, and Alex. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. You can always email us, if you don't have a raven, at meninblazers at gmail.com. Vendorpunk, Rog. War pig. Who wants to sex my Explosion. Explosure. Courage. Take that, Gloria. Is that your analysis? To tweet. tweed. Abrigado, rock on, mate. Kung fu fight in America. Love you, Rog. LTD
0: Dave. Ah, oh, LTD. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to Men in Blazers ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wonderycom survey.
3: Okay, so if you had a time machine, how far mm-hmm. in time would you need to go back to be a dominant basketball player of that era?
1: <laughs> I need to go to when Bob Cousy was playing. Back I at, would,
3: in the plumber 27 days? 27-year-old
1: Shay would give Bob Cousy the <laughs> business. He's not guarding me.
3: Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion.
1: And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondering. It's called Six Trophies, Woo. and it's the best.
3: Each week, Shay and I are combing through all of the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling ones, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball related activities.
1: Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time Trophy, which is given to someone who made a short term decision with no regard for future consequence.
3: Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet Trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand.
1: Catalina Wine Mixer Trophy. Ooh,
3: the Lauren Hill, You Might Win Some, but You Just Lost One Trophy. Follow Six Trophies on the one App or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to six trophies ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus.